I'm Maria Homan, and you're listening to Decoding Automation, a no-code podcast brought to you by LeapWork. How do you build test automation that's easy to maintain and that can be scaled? That's a question many testers have. Perhaps you've built code-based automation or your developers have, and months later, you find yourself spending more time on updating test cases than you do on building them. That's a problem, and it shouldn't be like that. So in this podcast episode, we've gathered the best advice from our automation experts here at LeapWork, and we'll be giving you all the tips and guidelines you need to optimize your test automation. Now, we all know that there's a major difference between automating 20 test cases and automating 2000 test cases. It's completely possible to take an ad hoc approach when there are just a few test cases, but it becomes an entirely different story when test cases run into the thousands. And enterprises who have begun automating and eventually tried to scale that automation will know that it pays off to take a strategic approach that follows a thought through plan and best practices and utilizes the right tools. So if you're looking to build test automation that scales, it's a good idea to just take a step back and to carefully consider the process that lies ahead, which will help you within this podcast, to create a test automation strategy and um, to decide which tool will serve you best and let you achieve a truly scalable automation that you can maintain with ease. Now, remember, even if you're not looking to scale right now and you're just at the starting point of your automation journey, automation yields the best benefits if it's created by following best practices from the beginning. So in this podcast episode, we'll outline best practices which you can follow as you build your suite of automated test cases. So the first step in building test automation that scales is identifying what to automate. It might be useful to think of the optimal number of test cases as a bell curve. Automate too little and the ROI of automation will be low as you'll spend too much time on initial setup and learning compared to the time saved on automated test cases. Uh, On the contrary, if you automate too much, you'll risk spending an unnecessary amount of time on maintaining tests that aren't giving you sufficient value. So ideally, you want to find the sweet spot somewhere in the middle where the return on investment is the highest. And to do that, consider these guidelines. First one, automate predictable scenarios only. Uh, The test case selected for automation should have a clearly defined objective. So that was one. Two, automate tests that are repetitive. Automating the repetitive tests won't just save you time it'll also save you from human errors that typically occur as a result of repetition. Regression tests that are repeated for all builds are a good place to begin for this. Three, automate data intensive tests. Moving large quantities of data from A to B isn't just a tedious task. It's also highly error prone and robots are actually much better at performing those tasks. Uh, They perform them with higher accuracy and speed than humans do. Four, automate critical complex feature tests. So if a feature is critical, it's important to test it thoroughly and frequently. Um, If, for example, you have an e-commerce platform, then your order payment system uh, needs to be tested as often as possible. Um, And automation helps make that possible. Five, automate cross-technology tests. Automating tests that require testing combinations on multiple hardware or software platforms um, and browsers can be completed efficiently with automated parallel testing. So that's testing multiple types of technologies in one go. I mean, that's self-explanatory, just it's more efficient if you do it simultaneously. And the last one, automate tests that are simple, but time consuming to save time on manual work and to let testers focus on tasks that require their critical thinking and skill. And the last one, automate tests 
that are simple but time-consuming. Um, time-consuming tests should be automated to save time on the manual tasks, which will, if you free that up, will mean that you can let your testers focus on tasks that require the critical creative thinking and skill that your testers have. Now, remember, these are all just guidelines and there are definitely going to be exceptions to those rules. Um, but as a rule of thumb, the those predictable repetitive tasks, those are the ones that will make the best cases for automation and regression testing is definitely a good place to start. So the second thing after you've um, identified the, the test cases for automation, it's time to build them, of course. And for this process, there are a number of best practices to follow. So the first one is to build isolated flows. So when building your test automation flows, it's best practice to isolate them and build atomic flows that are independent of one another. And why is that? Well, because if your test fails, it's much easier to identify where and why it failed and to fix the issue without affecting other tests. And that's not to say that you shouldn't build larger and to end tests that encompass entire processes from beginning to end. But if you only build end to end tests, you'll spend a significant amount of time on identifying where the test failed each time. Whereas if you have flows that test features in isolation, you'll be able to much more quickly identify the problem that lies within the specific feature. Number two, rethink the way your manual test cases are built. So as you build your new automation flows, you need to consider how you can approach it with an automation mindset instead of a manual mindset. Now we see this a lot with our clients that, you know, when you are just starting out with automation, it takes a little bit of a mind shift to, uh, to set up tests in the automated way. So this is a common mistake just when starting out with automation to try to transfer test cases in a one-to-one -one manner uh, into your automated testing suite. And well, in many cases, you'll find that they're built up of many smaller connected validations that don't really translate well into automation. So instead, consider if there's a smarter way to set those up um, and a way that will allow you to create atomic flows. And this is something that we, as I said, we see with our clients all the time and it's something we can help out with. Number three, build reusable flows. It's a good idea to think about how you can build reusable flows at the very beginning of your build because it will help you scale more quickly. Tests that are designed to handle one functionality at a time are easier to reuse and hence scale uh, than ones with multiple dimensions. So yeah, try to think simple. So for example, you might want to create a reusable flow that logs into an application because that's an action that you'll probably need for many of your flows. If you create a generic one that you can just adjust and reuse again and again with different data, you'll save yourself and your teammates a lot of time uh, down the line. Number four, create naming conventions. Now this might seem obvious and you probably might, yeah, you might already be doing this in your team. And if so, you can just skip this one, but I'm going to say it anyway, just because it really does help out just when you scale. So when you create use reusable flows, you'll want to make sure that they can actually be found and utilized by the rest of your team. You can do that by introducing a proper naming convention from the start. And like I said, you might already have one that works within your test management or bug tracking system, in which case it's good practice to reuse those and thereby limit the, um, the introduction of new names. Everyone on the team should be a part of the naming convention, or at least familiar with it so that flows are created and can be found uh, by all team members and not just a select few. That will really ensure that you and your team 
Don't spend hours trying to find existing flows or recreating flows that already exist because that's just a waste of time. So naming conventions um, are, of course, useful for flows also that aren't templates um, because it ensures everyone on the team can understand a flow. So in other words, with a naming convention in place, it will be easier to find, to understand, to collaborate on flows, and as a result, also maintain and scale, um, scale them. The last one here is number five, and that is to parameterize. So using the login example again, you might find that at some point in time, your login credentials will change, or you might want to test multiple login credentials or other types of data at the same time. Instead of changing every single flow that now uses those uh, login credentials, you can use parameterization. It might be useful to, to think of parameterization as the act of introducing placeholders by introducing placeholders for data in your test flows where possible, as opposed to hard coding data into each test, it becomes much easier to scale and maintain your test automation cases over time. And parameterization allows you to do data-driven testing, which is this method of pulling data from external data sources and inserting them into a test to see that the test passes with the list of data inputs from that data source. So it's quite, a, it's, it's just a very simple way of, of making things more efficient, really. And it makes it possible to test with essentially countless data variations. Um, and it also makes it possible to edit data at any point in time without having to also edit your test cases. So those were like the five points on um, optimizing your, your flows and when you build your test cases. The third tip I'm going to give is to test frequently. So of course, by following best practices for, for test automation setup, it also becomes possible to test more and without to test frequently. If you have the right automation setup and the right tool, you can run more test execution cycles. So if your test suites are large, you can set up parallel testing to test wider and to shorten the testing cycle, which is of course beneficial just the whole way around it. It just, yeah, really shortens that delivery cycle while still of course maintaining the quality that you, uh, the business wants. So all in all, uh, that will transfer into faster feedback loops. It will allow bugs to be fixed more quickly. Uh, it will reduce the time to market. It will maintain that high level of quality. Um, because bugs are cheaper to fix early in the development cycle, you can also reduce the overall testing costs, which will make the return on investment in your automation tool just a lot bigger. So the end goal is to achieve continuous testing where, you know, which is something a lot of teams strive for, uh, where you can, where you always have this up-to-date quality status on all builds and you can take correct measures immediately if you see a critical test failing. Uh, the next and critical ingredient for achieving success with test automation and creating flows that are maintainable and scalable is finding the right test automation tool. So, you know, a quick search on the internet will reveal that there are many options for test automation tools, but not all of them will let you scale as easily. So a key indicator for scalability is the level of coding the tool requires. So is it code-based, is it low-code, or is it no code. Now, many opt for code-based uh, tools like Selenium as their first choice um, when first starting out on their automation journey, just because it's free and it has you know, a large user community and it's quite a good tool. But you know, many realize that due to the large amount of coding it requires, Selenium becomes a bit of a beast to maintain once the number of test cases start to grow. 
So instead, it can be an advantage to start out with a codeless Selenium tool like Leapwork that uses Selenium under the hood, but hides the complexity of code by using a visual language instead. Even if your team is made up of testers and developers who are great programmers, you can actually save valuable time by taking code out of the equation and instead letting developers focus on writing code for new features and innovation and letting testers focus on testing the product and ensuring that high quality through, for example, exploratory testing and optimizing test design. Using no-code automation is also an advantage when it comes to collaboration as, you know, well, teams are often made up of various skill sets. So some might know how to write Python, some might know C-sharp, others might not know any programming language because it's it was never a part of their job role. So with a no-code tool that uses a, a universally understandable visual language instead of code, you minimize the burden of trying to decode what others have written. You also want to find a tool that integrates with your CI/CD pipeline. It's critical, of course, that the tool you choose just supports the investments uh, you've already made in this respect. And the tool should just integrate seamlessly with existing tools and have an open and flexible API. And the last thing I want to say is to try to find a tool that will allow you to follow the best practices for building and executing your flows. So tools that enable you to create reusable test flows, to parameterize, to name your flows with ease to test in parallel and to, of course, give you that clear overview of all your tests. Combined, those features will make it a lot easier for you to scale and to maintain your test automation flows, allowing you to just yield the full benefits of test automation. So that marks the end of this podcast episode. I hope you found our guidelines helpful. If you want to learn more about best practices for building test automation, uh, you can head on over to leapwork.com slash whitepaper where you'll find our guide to building maintainable and scalable automation. And while you're at it, check out our webinars as well on uh, at leapwork.com slash webinars to learn more about no-code test automation and of course to learn about Leapwork. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll support our podcast Decoding Automation by subscribing and leaving a review. You can find the podcast on Spotify and on iTunes. I'm Maria Homan and this was a podcast brought to you by Leapwork. Leapwork.